Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this whole weekend, Lord. We bless you as your own. We say we love you because you loved us before even we knew you. And you died for us, Lord. And how grateful we are that we belong to you. We bless you and we thank you, Lord. Every time we come together, we want to uplift your name always, Lord, in our hearts and together as one body in one accord, worship and just say how much we love you, Lord. I thank you for the message you have shared this weekend, Lord. And I pray for this session that you will bless it in a way that everyone will receive it from your hands as always, Lord. I bring all of them into your throne for all of the things we do in unity. So your will be done in us as one body together. Thank you, Lord, for all these blessings that you have poured upon us. I also want to pray as we are checking out today that you will protect everyone as they're going home. Be with us with every single family, every single member that has come here, Lord that all of them will reach home safe and sound until we come together again next week. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. In the previous sessions, we saw how God started a new race of heavenly people on the basis of sonship with Abraham. There are two important titles that Abraham holds in the Bible. First one is, he's the father. He was the father of Hebrew race, not only that, but as Paul says in Romans 4.11, he's the father of all those who believe. We believers in Christ are his true spiritual descendants in the Lord Jesus. Again, the father of many nations. This characteristic of his fatherhood is the principle of all that follows. Faith was one of the important side of his character that God could start a new heavenly race with him and thus become the father of those who believe. Second title that he holds in the Bible is friend of God. He is the only one in the Bible that holds this title as friend of God. This is what Isaiah 41, 8 says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. What a verse. In Chronicles 27, Jehoshaphat he was one of the kings, and under pressure of circumstances, he prayed this to God. He said, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend? He's reminding that we are the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. There is no higher title and glorious crown than this, that anyone should be called friend of God. Bible says God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend. But the word used for Moses is more like a companion. A week ago last Friday when I turned on YouTube, since I have subscribed Sam's channel for Church of the Living Hope, it came up. Anytime they upload a new video, it comes up at the first video. So I started watching it. It was uploaded like a two hours earlier. I enjoyed it. I was blessed. And of course, every time I hear him speaking in Armenian, that also blesses me too. In his message, which he was talking about Joshua as the type of Christ, he read the verse, just the one I quoted, that God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend. And the Armenian word for the friend is Baregam. Western Armenians use this word when they speak of a friend. We use that for relative. Their usage of the word Barakam is exact interpretation of the Old Testament word for friend God used for Moses. What it means is 
You can talk to your neighbor. That's what barakam is. Somebody like your neighbor or even companion. You can talk to your neighbor as much as you want, but you will never say to your neighbor what you would say to your loved one. And that loved one is the word God used for Abraham. He said, Abraham, my friend. He's saying, my loved one as a friend. Abraham stands unique in this title, the friend of God. The question is, how did Abraham get to this standing with God? Or the place where God could speak of him, my friend. This is Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Every promise God gave to Abraham was supposed to go through Isaac. Now, if Isaac was to be sacrificed, then all of the promises of God would have been nullified. But the Bible says Abraham believed that God could raise the dead. At the time, there was no resurrection done or recorded. So he believed that God could raise him up. When you let go to God because you believe in him, there will be no loss in the long run. And when we come to that position with God, it is always when you say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm giving it to you. That is the basis of friendship. In Hebrews 11 verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. The last phase of Abraham's spiritual journey is when he became the friend of God, which is oneness with God in his passion. The word passion, if you look up the dictionary, it says, strong and barely controllable emotion. At the same time, the dictionary says, number two definition of it, the suffering and death of Christ. Think of the passion of Christ as the suffering Jesus endured for our sins. So Abraham became one with the Lord in his passion, in his suffering. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Same verse I've been quoting from Revelation. The lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. In God's mind, Jesus was already crucified in the past eternity. You see, Abraham was willing to do what God already did in the past eternity. And with that willingness, he stepped right into the position of God's friend. I read this verse in last night's session in relation to the pearl of the great price. From Colossians 1.24, Paul says, I now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. This verse makes it very clear to us that we are called into the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Of course, this is not the suffering for atonement, but this is suffering alongside the body all the way to the end. There is no suffering for the atonement for the sin. That part, Jesus alone and him alone could do it, and he did it. But the suffering of what God is bringing about, that's the important side of it. To the Philippians, Paul, in chapter 129, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Going back to when I was speaking about the pearl of a great price, as I was watching the videos on YouTube, one particular one I was watching, it was about the cultured pearls. They're just as expensive as the natural pearls. 
The video I was watching, there was like a laboratory. They looked all doctors and whatnot, wearing all white, and they were surgically inserting this little round spherical object, which they call them beads, which only Japan makes it, and it's also very expensive. So they're inserting these beads in a specific location in the oyster, and the oyster having this uh, foreign object in the body for defending itself, it starts covering layer by layer of same material of its shell is composed of or made of. At one point when I was watching this video, I realized that pearls are the only precious gems or precious stones that are created in a living creature. The rest of them, like diamonds, emerald, or what have you, they're created under geological pressure for millions of years. This pearls is created in a living creature. And eventually, when pearl is harvested, they die because of the pearl. Our suffering with Christ are always fruitful suffering, although we may not always see it or feel it. Fellowship with Christ in his suffering is the way of fullness of blessing. See what the Lord said after Abraham was willing to offer his only son. This is Genesis 22 from 15. He says, Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you, your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sands which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. The Lord commits himself to those who commit to him. This blessing is not just for us personally. By this time, Abraham did not need anything. God blessed him so much, there was no lack in his life. But this blessing that God pronounced on him is not a personal blessing, but rather God is making him a vessel of blessing, not for himself, but for others. That's the blessing that God gave him at this point. The promise is that many, many others will come into this blessing because you have shared with my suffering. The word of the Lord is not, I will bless you only, but I will make you a vessel of blessing. And that's how we become a vessel of blessing. In the New Testament, Gospel writers, only John writes five chapters about the last evening that Jesus had with his disciples starts with chapter 13 all the way to end of 17. The other three gospel writers, they have a short chapters. They talk about the communion, the Lord's covenant in his blood and his body. John is the only one that doesn't mention that covenant, what we do during the communion, coming to the table of the Lord. But instead, he writes five chapters of wonderful conversation Jesus had with his disciples. I mean, Everything he said and did in that five chapters of John is just amazing. I'm going to talk about two monumental things Jesus did and said during that last evening. Beginning with chapter 13, the first thing Jesus did was washing the feet of his disciples. And interestingly, Judas was among them. John 13 from verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter. This is when he was washing the feet of his disciples. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, 
you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In verse 15, this is what Jesus says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Of course, that was just an example for all of them, how to serve one another in the body of Christ. Now, in order to wash their feet, the disciples had to take their sandals off. You know where I'm going, right? Even though Jesus said, what I'm doing right now, you do not understand. But they had no clue what they were doing when they were taking their sandals off. By removing your sandals, you've given up your rights. You say, what rights at this point? Well, just look at Peter. He was the only one among the disciples that he confessed. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood will not reveal this to you, but it has come from my Father who is in heaven. That is, we who are born again, we know he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because we're in him. That revelation that came to us at the time we were born again is part of the package that comes in our life. But to confess it, he was the only one that did it. Now, he says, am I going to let the Christ, the Son of living God, wash my feet? No way. I'm sure I would have done the same thing. But when Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me, quickly he changed his mind. What rights is it here? Our rights are what we understand, what we believe in. Therefore, we protect and stand. I mean, people say, I have constitutional rights, which is their privilege being in this country. We have rights. Same thing Peter did. In his understanding, he's the Lord. He's the Christ. Now he's going to wash my feet. There's no way I'm going to let that happen. You see, when somebody injures you, you have every right not to forgive. You're a Christian, you forgive. But why do you forgive? Because you want to go on with the Lord. And that's the pathway to adoption to sons. By removing your sandals, you've given up your rights. Second monumental thing he said is in John 15. I will read from verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for your friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I commanded you. No longer I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Just see how great this is that the Lord would say, you are my friends. It is the most intimate title in all human relationships. Every other relationship may exist without friendship. In any case, as human beings, we're blessed to have different relationships. You know, we have the marriage relationship, we have parental or blood ties, co-workers, friends, this, that. All of them are relationships that we have. But the most intimate title is friendship. Friendship always brings something more. I suppose if you look at all the relationships, marriage is the most intimate one among all the relationships. But that relationship can exist without friendship. If you say your spouse is your friend, I would say your marriage is on a higher ground than most people on this earth. 
friendship always brings something more. The Lord said, you are my friends. He could have said anything. To say you are my friends was as far as anybody could possibly go. There is nothing beyond it. You reach the end of all relationship when you come to friendship. In the book of Revelation, there is a description of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to this, Revelation 21, 14. Now, the walls of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, second was sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, sixth sardius, seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. I have no clue with some of them what these precious stones are. But the point is the foundation of the heavenly Jerusalem is built on the friendship with the Lord. These are his disciples. Every layer is for each name of his disciples. And he called them, you are my friends. The new Jerusalem itself will be built upon the foundation of the friendship between the Lord Jesus and his own. What is the nature of friendship? We have it here in John 15. Jesus said, no longer I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Friendship is the position that makes it possible to open your heart, to keep nothing back, and to have such confidence that you can trust the other person with all that is in your heart. Jesus said, for all things that I heard from my Father, I made known to you. In other words, everything he had, he gave it to them. In John chapter 2, 23, John says, Now when he was in Jerusalem, that is, Jesus was in the Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need for anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. Jesus does not commit himself to people just because they believe in him. Do you see how powerful this is? But then Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that to lay down your life for his friend. That is the proof of friendship, and our Lord did exactly that. There are many ways of laying down your life for your friend. We only think of dying. What is laying down your life? It is just knowing that nothing is too valuable or important to keep it from your friend. It does not matter what it costs or how painful it is. Friendship makes it possible. When I started thinking about the message of this conference, this, is, this goes but almost two years ago, when first we were thinking about having a conference, I said to myself, well, I haven't been speaking in series for a long time. Years ago, I would pick up a subject and I would speak in series. I said, I haven't done that for a long time, much less a message for the conference. Until one day I went for a walk and came to this Isaiah 41.8, which I read it earlier. It says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. I've already told you how I changed the text size and the colors and what they mean to me. If you look at it, Abraham, my friend. What happened that day was, it's like an instant I compared who God is 
and who we are as human beings. All of this in a split second. I looked at God as the creator. And I've said this many times. Just the sheer size of this universe scares me. As big as it is, he's the creator. He's behind all this. If that is not enough, you go down to the molecular level, to atomic level, to subatomic level. I mean, there's a universe in that level. I remember when I graduated in 1977, being an engineering major, I took all the math there was, not only in bachelor's program, but also in graduate program. What we learned back then, there were so many subatomic elements in atoms. But what they know now, this is 45 some years later, there is more stuff they find out when I graduated than ever. I mean, it's like a universe by itself. Having that in mind, this is God, the creator, comparing to us, what are we? We are just a speck of dust on this earth. And then the possibility of being God's friend. That day with this verse began the idea of the message of this conference. My thought was, what happened to Abraham to get to this position with God? Of course, I had to backtrack to see the purpose of his calling in his life. As I shared it with you already, the purpose of his entire life was sonship. In order for God to begin with a new heavenly race of people called sons of God, the adoption to sonship. Now, in Genesis 22:3, this is what we read. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He rose early in the morning. Rising that early tells me Isaac was already sacrificed in his mind. If Abraham was distressed or depressed because of what God told him to do, do you think he would have got up early in the morning? No. He would have stayed in bed as long as possible. Let's say you have a lousy job and you hate to go to work. That's never been my experience. I love what I do. That's not personal. <laughs> if it was up to you, you would have stayed in bed all day long until the afternoon. But you have to get up, go to work. You have bills to pay. All I'm saying is, for him to get up early morning, Isaac was already sacrificed in his mind. The rest is just the history of how it happened. As I said earlier, he was about to do what God did for humanity, offering his son for all. That's how Abraham became God's friend. He had entered right into the heart of God and counted nothing too precious for friendship of God. During the Last Supper, Jesus knew what was going to happen. When all of the disciples would forsake him, knowing all that, he said, you are my friends. By saying that, he went beyond the cross all the way to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and then all of them changed. Jesus knew about his disciples. Yes, they were men of many weaknesses, many failures. They often said the wrong thing. They often did the wrong thing and misunderstood almost everything Jesus said. These are his disciples. <laughs> this is the relationship that the Lord Jesus wants more than anything else. The true friendship is always governed by this. And this is what the Lord wants. That I would not do anything to hurt my friend. The Lord Jesus will never do anything to hurt you. The greatest characteristic of friendship is loyalty. There is no greater virtue than loyalty. I tell you, in my own experience of having friends, 
It is very rare to have a friend by this kind of a definition. Now, coming to the table, I want to say that some couples, after they've been married for so many years, in a ceremony, they renew their vows. They say whatever they say, probably including their children. Some families, they do it in a small private ceremony. Some do it as elaborate, like a wedding. I personally don't care for anything like this. Marriage for me is just a commitment to death do us apart. Some respect that, some don't. <laughs> a ceremony like this will not gonna make or break your marriage. That's where my mentality comes from. But do you know, my dear friends, I'm gonna call you friends. I'm in the mood to call you friends. <laughs> Just because our Lord says, you are my friends. And when I say that, I want to do my best to love you and take care of you. <laughs> Just for today. <laughs> But do you know, my dear friends, every time you come to the table of the Lord, you're renewing your wedding vows with the Lord. How do you do that? That piece of bread you take, you say, I am one body with the Lord. The marriage ordinance says, and the two shall become one. This is in Genesis chapter 2. If I didn't know where this verse was, I would never guess that it's in Genesis chapter 2, right in the beginning of the Bible. But God from the beginning was saying, our marriages is taken from the type of union between Christ and his church. Right from the beginning of the Bible, God is telling you how important that union is. That piece of bread we take, we say, I am one with the body. Jesus confirmed that again by saying, this is Mark 10, verse 7. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. We are one with the Lord in the body. Every time you take the cup pointing to his blood, you're saying, I have the same life with the Lord. I share the same life. Leviticus 17:11 says, For the life of the soul is in the blood. Soul is the flesh. When he poured out his blood, he poured out his life. Through that, we share the same life. Just think the possibility of our relationship with the Lord. We are one body with him. We share the same life in this marriage covenant. And we can step up on a whole new level of friendship if we become one with the Lord in his passion. As he said, you are my friends if you keep my commandments. Fellowship of his suffering, which is a very fruitful suffering. Just think, Gethsemane has been the most fruitful garden in entire human history. And you and I are born from above out of his suffering, and now we are one in this marriage covenant. You are my friends, Jesus said. They were the ones that stayed with him all the way, and each one of them gave their life to the Lord and to their calling. That was the course given to them according to the measure of faith to run the race. In the same way, a set course is given to each one of us as believers. A set course to run the race. I've said this before in past messages. This race is not that all of us are running and one gets to the finish line and gets the prize. That's not a race like this. If it was, we were all losers next to Apostle Paul. 
He got there way ahead of us. But this is not that kind of a race. God has given each one of you a set course to run. Nothing more or less is expected from you according to the measure of faith he has given you. If Paul ran that way, that was his portion to run. Yours and mine will be different according to the calling of the Lord. That finish line is when we will come to full sonship. And what would that be? That we should be called sons of God. I mean, I can't get over this thing. Is it possible, do you think, to become sons of God? It's right here. What a calling. I tell you, all the potentiality of a child of God to become to this level of relationship begins when you're born again. I will never get tired of reminding you how precious that day was that you became born again. Because everything starts from there. I'm going to close this. Right after I say this, we will have communion. I will pray. We will take the communion. Stay here. I'm going to ask the elders to come. Pray according to what you heard during this conference. If you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, go ahead, by all means. That is, if you heard the Lord speaking to you. If he did, you can rededicate your life to him any which way you want. You can pray yourself. Just feel free. This is the time we're going to have together after the communion. I'm going to say this and we will take the communion. I came across this quote from Mark Twain. I don't know what I was watching, but this quote came. This is what he says. He says, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I checked it out to see if this is really one of his sayings. It is. It is from Mark Twain. He said it. I thought that was a profound thing to say. Then, as always, I think about it. And I said, this is good for the unbelievers, but for the believers, this doesn't serve any purpose. <laughs> so scrap what Mark Twain said. <laughs> I have my own version. There's two days you should remember in your life. The day you were born again, and the day you find out why you were born again. And it's been my prayer that the message of this conference answered that question for you. Amen? When we all have it, I will pray and we will take the communion together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for everything for today, Lord. As you were with us from first hour all the way to this point, Lord, your blessing, your word, your presence is what we crave, what we desire and want all of it to be in our lives, Lord. We bless you for your presence, Lord, and your blessing that comes from your presence knowing that we belong to you and you are with your people everywhere. Father, I thank you for our Lord's finished work on the cross, that through his life and ministry and his sacrifice, today we are yours, Lord, as your sons and daughters. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, that he, doing all what you had in mind, our Lord Jesus did it all the way to the end, and you raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. For our justification, now that we stand and we believe in you, Lord. Hallelujah. May you be blessed among these people, Lord, this little flock, that every time we come together, your will be done in all things that we do, Lord, in our household and as we come together as your church. Through your blood, you have cleansed us. Through your body, you have healed us, Lord. And you made us one with you. We praise you and we worship you. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we take this communion and we say thank you again, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's take it together.